Grumpy old man syndrome. (laughs) Have you heard of it? Do you know a grumpy old man? Maybe your neighbour's one. Maybe you're married to one. In the Disney movie Up, there's a wonderful example of a grumpy old man. And I'd like you to meet Carl Friedrichson. Just an old person. Yep. Then I'll be a senior wilderness explorer. You ever heard of a snipe? Snipe? Bird. Beady eyes. Every night it sneaks in my yard and gobbles my poor assailants. I'm elderly and infirm. I can't catch it. If only someone can help me. Me, me. I'll do it. Oh, I don't know. It's awfully crafty. You'd have to clap your hands three times to lure it in. I'll find them, Mr. Fredrickson. I think it's Burroughs, two blocks down. If you two blocks down, it. got it. Hi. Here, Snipey, Snipey. <laughs> if you want to see a movie about a grumpy old man that's quite delightful, then I can highly recommend the Disney movie Up. Do you notice a bit of sarcasm towards the end there to get rid of the young lad? Yeah. Now, researchers believe that it's about the age of 70 when the grumpy old man syndrome kicks in. Did you know it's a syndrome? It's true. Why 70? Well, it's an age when denying our own mortality becomes that much harder, especially as more of our friends pass away. When you're 70, we may struggle with long-term health problems. We may feel depressed because we have little or no aspirations to aim for. Grumpy old man syndrome has a medical basis. Testosterone levels in a 70-year-old are about half that of a young man. Now, unlike women, who have a much more pronounced hormonal change during menopause, men experience a gradual change in hormone levels. So grumpy old man syndrome has a habit of sneaking up on us guys. Men who suffer from this syndrome often feel a sense of being burnt out. Increased depression, 
they become more irritable than normal, and they worry more. And you know, I think that's what's happened to Jacob. I think Jacob's turned into a grumpy old man. So today, we're going to see how the grumpy old man syndrome has affected Jacob. But we'll also see that God has not finished with him yet. We're going to see God transform Jacob from a grumpy old man to a grandfather with honour. He really does an amazing work in Jacob's life. And then we're going to see how Jacob points to Christ. So we're going to see how Jacob has become a grumpy old man, how God transforms him to a grandfather with honour, and then how he points to Christ. So, grumpy old man. Why do I say Jacob's turned into a grumpy old man? Well, let's look at the evidence that's in the Bible. Now, we know that Jacob was devastated by Joseph's death. Though it was a lie, Jacob believed his loved son was devoured by wild beasts. So for 20 plus years, Jacob has mourned. Sorrow and grief have been his daily companions. So now as we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 45, his sons return with the good news that Joseph's alive. But notice how Jacob struggles to believe. So verse 25 of chapter 45, So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. Now, you don't have to be a grumpy old man to be stunned over such good news, but notice a verse or two later in verse 28. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Well, notice he didn't say, I will go and see him and give him the biggest hug, or I will go and see him and catch up on all the news that's happened, or I will go and see him and we will plan a party. He said, no, I will go and see him and I'll die. It's a bit sombre, isn't it? So Jacob struggles to believe. He also struggles to leave home. He's struggling to go from Canaan to Egypt. Canaan is the place he knows well. It's where his roots are, his friends So God encourages him in a dream in chapter 46, verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you. Jacob is hesitating on the border of his homeland, and so God has to nudge him over the edge to nudge him on his way. Yes, Jacob's struggling to believe and he's struggling to leave home, but he also struggles to celebrate. So in in chapter 46, um, verse 28, there's this beautiful moment as Jacob reaches Egypt. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. Goshen is the part of Egypt where they were to settle. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Wow, isn't that an amazing reunion 
father and son. We saw the emotion and the tears when Joseph and his brothers were reunited and now we see something similar here. As soon as Joseph appeared before his father, he threw his arms around him and wept for a long time, sobbed. And so the Bible gives us this lovely vantage to see this much longed for but totally unexpected reunion. Joseph, 13 years betrayed and abandoned, a slave and in prison, and then years working in Pharaoh's palace, longing to be reunited with his father, he is now in Jacob's arms. And Jacob, over 20 years mourning, in this moment unexpectedly holds his son. Yet even in this moment, Jacob struggles to celebrate. Verse 30, Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die. Contrast this with the father of the prodigal son. Let's shift gears for a minute and go to the New Testament to Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son with that wayward lad who acquired his inheritance early, went to another land and squandered it. And the father waited day after day, looking, looking. And then his young son arrives and what does he do? He throws a party. (laughs) He kills the fatted calf. The father invites the whole town to celebrate because his son he thought was dead is now alive. And we contrast that with Joseph. He says, now I am ready to die. Jacob struggles to believe, he struggles to leave home, he struggles to celebrate. And all this comes together when he meets Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh hears that Joseph's family has arrived in Egypt and he's thrilled for Joseph. And so he invites Joseph's father, Jacob, to the palace. Chapter 47, verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult. That's the best that he could manage in summing up his life. My years have been few and difficult and do not equal the years of pilgrimage of my fathers. Wow. Now Jacob might not have grumpy old man syndrome, but he's not in a good place, is he? He's really struggling. But the good news is God is not finished with Jacob. Three times Jacob has said, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. God won't let him. So let's see how God transforms Jacob into a a grandfather with honour. Though Jacob's ready to die, God is not ready to take him. In chapter 47, verse 28, how many years do you think Jacob lived? He's an old man, he's over 100. How many years do you think Jacob was to live after reaching Egypt? Chapter 47. Uh, 47, verse 28, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. 17 years. And in those years, God was not idle. God does a mighty work in Jacob. And we're going to see the results of this mighty work as Jacob is transformed from a grumpy old man to a grandfather with honour. And we see that in chapter 48, verses 1 and 2. Now, sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So this is 17 years after Jacob's in Egypt. 
So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in bed. And some of us have nursed an elderly parent or relative, and we know near life's end and they're in bed, and a special visitor will come, and even though they're struggling, they'll rally, and they'll sort of prop themselves up with a bit of help from you, so that they can have this very special person when they know that their days are numbered. This is exactly what's happening here. If Jacob was alive today, he'd be in hospice care, or he'd be at home of a relative in his last days. And so this is where we're at. In verse 8, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now I can die. No, he doesn't say that, does he? That's what he was saying 17 years ago. This is what he says today. I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Can you see the difference? This grumpy old man is grumpy no longer. Gone is the woe was me complaints. Gone is... You know, oh, the best I can do is my days are few and with trouble. Instead, he's grateful. And he's grateful to the living God. He used to focus on how bad it was. Now he's focused on God's many blessings and that he's alive to join them. And from his bed, Jacob blesses his two grandsons. Now this blessing is unusual. A bit of background In those days, when a father was about to die, he would call his family in, and then the oldest son, he would lay hands on him and bless him. It was a patriarchal blessing from one generation to the next. But he doesn't, he breaks convention, he blesses two grandsons well down the birth order. And in this blessing, there's a lot of irony. Do you remember when Jacob tricked his older brother out of that same blessing? If we go back quite a few decades, two young men, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the oldest and should have got the blessing. Their father, Isaac, is elderly. Again, in bed, blind, last days. He feels that he's going to die, so he asks Esau to go out and get some game and prepare it, his favourite meal, and then he would bless Esau. Now Rachel, Joseph's mother, is listening and so they hatch a plot. She prepares the meal. Jacob pretends to be Esau. Now because they're quite different physically, they have to do some things. So if you remember the story, Jacob dresses in Esau's clothes because his blind father will be able to smell that smell and he also puts goat skin on his arms. Why does he put goat skins on his arms? Yeah, because Esau's one of these hairy guys and Jacob's not. And so what happens is he tricks his father He steals the blessing that should have been to Esau and so Isaac puts his hand on Jacob and passes that patriarchal blessing. Now that happened decades ago and now it's Jacob's turn to pass that blessing and he decides that he will bless his grandchildren. And so he says, 
May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, may he bless these boys. Isn't that wonderful? And we see more of this transformation. No more do we see my days have been few and difficult. Now, listen, listen to what Jacob says. God has been my shepherd all my life, even to this day. What Jacob is saying is that even today when I'm on my deathbed, I gladly declare that God has been with me. Even in those dark years when I thought God had abandoned me, now I can see that God hadn't abandoned me. He was with me even in those difficult times. He has been my shepherd and I declare it from my deathbed. What a change. What a change that God's done in Jacob's life. This grumpy old man has been transformed to a grandfather with honour. A grandfather with honour because he honours God first and he wants to bless his family. This brings us to the third point. We've seen the transformation, grumpy old man to grandfather with honour. But how does, how does Jacob point to Christ? Well, after blessing his grandsons, chapter 49, verse 1, while he's still propped up in bed, 49 verse 1, then Jacob called for his sons and said, gather round so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. So his adult children, all 12 of them are there, they are present, and the two grandsons. And then what happens is that God's Holy Spirit is on Jacob so that he can prophesy. God gives Jacob a word for each son that indicates what will happen to their descendants. Now some of the prophecies are positive and some grim. But there's one that stands out. And why does it stand out? Because one of Jacob's sons, their descendants will be the Messiah, will be the Christ. So which son is it? Which son is Jesus going to be descended from? Is it Reuben, the oldest, the natural one? Is it Simeon or Levi? Listen to chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. So let's unpack this prophecy a little bit. The key word here is scepter. The scepter symbolises a king. You see, from Judah's descendants will come the king of God's people, not from Reuben, not from Joseph or Simeon, but from Judah. Now this prophecy of the scepter and the king was initially fulfilled in David. And David was in direct line, direct descendant of Judah. And though he was the first great king, the first godly king, though he was the greatest king and the benchmark for all other kings, this verse indicates another king will come, the true and the better king to whom the scepter belongs, and the obedience of the nations are his. And of course this true and better king is Jesus, is Christ. And though Jacob did not know the full implications of his words, this transformed man, this grandfather with honour, points to Christ, King of Kings, Saviour of the world, God's own Son. So let's pull this together. What have we seen? Well, we've seen a, a grumpy old man, weighed down with grief, burnt out and probably depressed. 
My years had been few and difficult was the best that he could muster when he was in front of Pharaoh. But this grumpy old man was transformed into a grandfather with honour because God had his hand in Jacob's life. So much so that Jacob blessed his family, knew that God was his shepherd and pointed to Christ. What a transformation. What a legacy he left his children and grandchildren and what hope it gives to us. For we live on the other side of the cross. We have the benefit of being able to repent and believe in Christ and be adopted as dearly loved children. And when we do, we have the Holy Spirit taking up residence in us to transform and empower. And because of us, none of us need be grumpy old men. And just as a matter of interest, this could happen to young and old, men and women, just so I can insult everyone in the room and not just the men. (laughs) None of us need be like Jacob. And if we are like Jacob, no matter whether we're 70 or 80 or 90 or more, if we are a grumpy old man, then God will transform us. We don't have to stay that way. Now, in this stage of the sermon, I'd normally give some practical steps on how we can bless others, how we can know that Christ is our shepherd, and how we can point to Christ. But there's probably three sermons. In fact, there is three sermons there. So we'll just go on well past lunchtime if I do. And since I don't see a whole lot of people with their hands up crying out, please do. (laughs) I'll finish with a story. I'll finish with a story. It just helps us put into that perspective about a grumpy old man becoming a grandfather with honour. Now let me tell you about Bill. Bill is a wild-haired uni student whose wardrobe consists of jeans and a t-shirt with holes in it. Now this morning Judy put our son actually on the um, bus back to Christchurch to Polytech and when he came he had a suitcase full of washing. (laughs) And when he left, because he has such a lovely mother, it was all cleaned and there were a few extra bits and pieces in it, a few extra T-shirts and stuff. But Bill obviously doesn't have that sort of support. <laughs> anyway, Bill became a Christian at university due to campus ministry. And across the road from the university was a very well-dressed, conservative, formal church. And one day Bill decides to go there, and he walks in late, and he has no shoes, and the church is full, and the service is well, well through. So Bill just casually wanders down the aisle and everybody looks at him. And as he gets closer to the front, he realises there's no empty seats. So he comes and just squats down on the carpet by the front row looking at the preacher. The congregation is very uneasy. (laughs) They're not sure how to take this scruffy-looking young man. It's never happened before. Then from the back of the church, a grey-haired elder in a three-piece suit starts walking down the aisle towards Bill. And the elder has a walking stick, so all eyes are naturally focused on what's happening. Even the minister is waiting, because he doesn't know how it's going to go, and he's just about to start his sermon. Well, the elderly man reaches where Bill is sitting, and he drops drops his walking stick on the floor, and with great difficulty... He lowers himself to the floor and sits next to Bill. And though it was the most natural thing in the world, both Bill and this older gentleman look at the preacher waiting for him to start. 
And the preacher says, what I'm about to preach, you will never remember. What you have just seen, you will never forget. Grumpy old man or a grandfather with honour. You see, as we look to Christ, as we seek to honour him, as we cling to him, we'll find that we too can be transformed like Jacob. We can be transformed like that gentleman in the three-piece suit. We can be transformed so that we can bless others, so that we can bless our family and friends and those people that God brings into our lives. And God will transform us so that we can know God is our shepherd. To such an extent that Psalm 23 just becomes alive. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And we know it's alive in our innermost being. And God can finally, he can transform us so that we can all point to Christ, the King of Kings. Each one of us in our own way. Point to Jesus, the one to whom every knee from every tribe, from every nation will one day bow when he comes again in glory. Amen.